and welcome to the Three Wise DMs podcast, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long, talk about the things we do to try to make better games for us and our players. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. Scream for me, Long Beach! It's me, Dave. I'm trying the rock and roll DM thing, um, so I... That was what I worked on. That's what I workshopped today. So I expect you to get it the first time. It's okay. That was uh, that was that was an ode to Bruce Dickinson from Live After Death, the live <laughs> Iron Maiden record from like '87. So there you go. Iron Maiden is pretty awesome. You can have it, man. Go ahead. You can be uh, Barovia Rock City, as far as I'm concerned. It's uh, you know, I'm currently wearing a leather jacket, you know, <laughs> and uh, engineer boots. Yeah, I'm I'm real rock and rolled out. So that is the new theme. Dave is the rock and roll dungeon master. Me and Tony still looking for things. I don't know. I don't, we're I don't have a thing. We're workshopping it. We're yeah, we're working on it. I have too many other weird ideas. My ex-girlfriend got me an entire Batman set of pajamas. Like, do you really want to see me, you know, podcast in that? I mean, I... Dude. Yes. Yes. The answer yeah. is yeah, yes. The, the Batman DM? Absolutely. I think, we, I, think a new, I think a new poll will have to happen for our Facebook and Twitter followers. <laughs> Who would like to see DM Tony in his Batman onesie? Man, this is horrifying. This this just segues perfectly. We're talking because we're really talking about our origin stories here, aren't we? What have we been into that got us into D and D? And this week's episode is all about player backstories. So. I mean, it really kind of comes down to it, doesn't it? Do we want to let Dave, okay, Dave's coming in with the background of rock and roll, the backstory of rock and roll DM. We want to allow it in our game. Sure. Tony's coming in as Batman. We want to allow Batman. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh, get a little more serious about this. So yeah, today we're going to talk about player backstories. Do you need them? Do you like them? Uh, what do you want to see in them? How do you use them in your games? And just in general, you know, what do you do with this part of the role-playing game experience that is really very collaborative? Because you, oftentimes the player writes the backstory, the DM incorporates it. How do you make this work? And what do we do with them? So Guys, looking at player backstories, you know, this is one of the things we've touched on this a few times throughout the podcast. I get the impression I am much less enthusiastic for player backstories than either of you guys are. Like, I like no, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised by that. Yeah, I, I like any listener will be surprised. <laughs> I work them in, but I really like sometimes to me, I'm just like, yeah, you know, OK, yeah, that's where you are. We'll do this thing. We work it in. But, you know, we have this adventure to go on. So it's, it's uh, looking forward. Maybe I'm just a very looking forward style of DM. So let's say let, let's just kick this off here. Let's talk about kind of you know, I think our first question here is who writes the player backgrounds for your game? You or the PC? Tony, you want to start? I think that absolutely falls to the player. And it's a great engagement tool because you can get your player to write virtually nothing or absolute troves of great information like Dave did in my game. I mean, some players wrote a decent backstory. I looked at the backstory and said, hey, this is cool. And then like Dave and Bonnie wrote it. And I'm like, okay, wow, I want to read this twice. <laughs> and what that does is now you have characters like back in back in the day, you know, we used to, you know, do zero level adventuring in some points of second edition, where basically you would plan out your character, his or her ascent into becoming a full fledged adventurer. So by the time you hit one of our, like our real first game. We've already had a session or two. So these characters are really not doing a cold open. They're mm. they're in the process of being developed. And 
since we don't really do that anymore. There is no zero-level gaming, at least that I'm aware of, in 5e. Well, there's Session Zero where you would cover that sort of thing. It might not be an actual... It might not be that you game them up through level zero, but you definitely want to talk about backstory in Session Zero. Oh, we absolutely did that. Like, you met your wizard's apprentice, you did chores for him, you got spell components, like, this stuff happened. Like, the real grinding your elbows or, you know, scraping on the ground business here. Um, But... um, the point is your character has flavor and a personality by game one. And mm. if you don't have that by game one, then you're kind of doing the cold open and it's like, okay, we're going to figure it out as we go along. And that's the difference for me. So just to kind of clarify that a little bit. So the player comes in with a backstory. Do you take that black backstory and just kind of like run with it whole cloth? Do you make it, do you make changes? Does a play like, like how detailed is that in your games? Do you, do you add in, okay, you're, you were a wizard's apprentice. I'm telling you who your master was, where you learned magic, how it fits in. Do you take that part or do you leave that to the player? That is completely open. So if someone says, Hey, I am a wizard's apprentice and you know i want these things to happen let's do something generic my father was killed by a six-fingered man uh something along those lines well now i'm coming back and i'm filling in those blanks mm. then i'll say okay this is go here meet your wizard's teacher here you go or maybe you're part of this wizard school and you have uh, this backstory occurred maybe this is another npc that you met during your training i could supply that unless these are also details that um, the player wants to supply, in which case then maybe this is something I can actually deal with in the game and mm-hmm. have them interact with them and be like, oh, you've gone to see your your uh, your teacher. Perhaps they know something. And mm-hmm. he uses plot devices because I'm lazy. <laughs> what about you, Dave? How do you handle uh, character backstories? I, I think Tony covered it uh, perfectly. It's exactly that. It's on the player, no doubt. Um, but... Some of the best ones that I've experienced are when the player brings something and then the DM comes back and says, awesome, what do you think about X, Y, Z, right? Or what do you think? Like, uh, for instance, I did that with uh, Chris's character, uh, Sir Scar, in the Strahd campaign. He came and he was like, what kind of gods are in your world? You know, so I gave him a list of the pantheon that I had and we kind of worked out where he would come come from and then it was a little bit of this back and forth building this like you know narrative backstory as to because that that's something that i know he enjoys so i can delve into that um but yeah it's totally on the player and i'm okay with whatever they kind of want to bring um everyone has a different level you know from the i i'm my family is dead and i got a sword and i want to kill things to like the you know, the three page, you know, opus of the person. So, uh, but yeah, it, it's most definitely on the player uh, first. So do either one of you guys have players who come in and they're just you new, maybe new players who wouldn't write that backstory or don't know what to write or don't know how to approach this? Absolutely. I, yeah, no, positively. And what do you do with that? This is a collaboration opportunity. You could sit down with them and maybe they don't know the steps, but you could kind of show them how the dance goes. You can put the music on. Be like, okay, look, where are your character goals? I don't mean when you're level 19, Mm -hmm. but why did your character start adventuring? Where is your character from? What kind of character uh, are you looking for a martial character, an arcane character, a skilled character? And then you can kind of start digging from there and working backwards and uh, let them use input whenever possible. I think 5e does a really good job structurally 
of mm -hmm. what a background is. Like if you said, hey, I want to be the son of a knight. Okay, let's go to the noble background. Now I can tell you what you're going to get. And now it's my opportunity. I have the chance now to say, how is your character unique? You know, I, I guess I got to, I should add my two cents to it. Uh, and as we kind of hinted at, I do, I'm a little more cool on player backgrounds. It's not that I don't like them. It's not that I don't want well-developed characters. It is, I tend to be much more interested in what you're going to do now than where your character comes from. So you have a background, it guides you fine. If you don't have a background, I'm probably going to throw a little bit out there to the player. Like, I feel like I often have players who don't really come to the game with a background or necessarily knowing what a background should be. So, so in those cases, one, those players don't usually want to be, don't want to have it to have to worry about. In two, I tend to put a world in front of them and expect us to be looking forward more than back. And that is, that is the way I'm usually approaching the game. So do I want to layer in aspects of this character background or do I want them just looking forward to what do you got to do today? I'd usually rather them looking forward with the background to kind of guide them and kind of who their personalities are. Like I'm more interested in who the adventurer is personality wise than specifically like who their teacher was. That's in, 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 in details of the, of the actual character story, because I'm probably going to put a different story in front of them or they're going to stumble into a different story. Having said that, if they want to, you know, if they come into the adventure and they're like, okay, the first thing I want to do is do this and go looking for this guy. And I want to go looking for something that ties into my background. I'm going to tie that into what they're trying to do. But more often than not, I find that I'm supplying a little bit of background. Just, uh, okay, yeah, you're a barbarian. That's what you have. All right, so you're from here. Your tribe does this. You came down here because of that. Let's go. Let's get in and get moving. It's just, you know, I'm much more looking forward at what are you going to do rather than looking back at, okay, so where did you come from beyond your, your basic motivations? Uh, and I guess part of the reason I do that is because I don't want one character's backstory really defining the game compared to other characters. You know, I think there, there have been times when I've seen, like, you know, you it can be hard not to play favorites with backstories as a DM. You have some you like, some you don't. And the ones you like, you tend to use more than the ones you don't. And I don't know if that's, that's not necessarily easy to work like six or seven different backstories into the way the game works. Well, two things with that. Um, first is what I said earlier, 5e does something light years better than two, in our second mm -hmm. edition universe with that, because whatever you wanted your backstory, anything was on the table in 2e. Oh, you're the king's son. Well, here's a magic sword. Here's a great war horse and full barding. Oh, here's a full plate that's all engraved. Well, if you're literally the king's son, then you could argue you have this. Now, as a DM, maybe I'm planning to burn your you know, kingdom down in the, you know, game two. <laughs> that's a different topic. Um, but this, but because 5e is much more leveled like that, you can, you can have, okay, you're the king's son, you're noble. Well, now you have a more structured thing of what you can really provide them. And I agree, you shouldn't, someone shouldn't be more powerful necessarily because of their backstory because they haven't really earned anything. But what I do like about the backstory is how that the best characters literally write your story. And the backstory helps the players, especially in the beginning of the game, determine their choices in your campaign. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. I would agree with that very much is that it's not, and I know what you're saying, Thorne, in, in the idea of playing favorites, because then you start to tie in one person's backstory as like one of the main drivers of the plot, which can feel a little like your, you know, your Sokka or Katara on, on uh, Avatar, you know, you're like, cool. Like I have my story too, but obviously this is the, the destiny of, uh, you know, of Aang right now. But I would say with Tony, too, I, I, I agree 
I, it's it's not about overshadowing. It's about meeting the players where they are with what they want to bring. Some people are very, very narratively focused, very character driven, really want to get into that. Uh, others are not. But you can find ways, uh, whether you're doing uh, your own homebrew stuff or if you're doing published stuff to tie them in. And then you see how do they respond to that? You know, I, I use the example, a perfect example, I think, is our is our most recent Straub game with with your wife, Shannon, and and her character, the rogue. <clears throat> so she made herself a wood elf. And for people that are have, have seen through the Curse of Straub, there are these a race of what's called dusk elves. Uh, and they kind of figure into the story. And as I'm looking through the adventure, I go, oh, shit, this is a cool way to kind of build to, to draw this in. I kind of tried to throw something together to to put Phineas Thorin's character together with Shannon's character to see if there was a little bit of like if I could create a little bit of a tension. Um, so I just kind of keep and they just met some of the Dusk Elves and and some of this was revealed. So you throw it out and the the person can have a little bit of a spotlight and they can either take it or not take it. It's no big deal, but you at least allow them the stage time. To, to kind of step forward and say, oh, this is my part now, you know, but everyone has something in the adventure somewhere, hopefully, if you're doing it right, if you're doing it mm, right. Well said. I think that's harder to do than it sounds like, though, because one, you have some players who definitely kind of wallflower a little more and they don't necessarily sure. mm -hmm. reach up when you put their background in front of them. And two, sometimes... You know, I, actually, I will use this as an example. The Atoni in the Storm King's Thunder game, you mentioned the drought halls in Dave and Bonnie's backstory, for, I think every episode for like the last four episodes. I bet, I, I mean, bet. Yeah. But that is absolutely this, a backstory. You're featuring another backstory. Like, like there's, we're there's, <laughs> but, th but that is, I mean, but, but that does become, that backstory is much more influential to what you're doing than the other backstories. There's other backstories you haven't picked up to use at all. I mean, doesn't that get a little bit unbalanced? He wrote a poem, man. I mean, I don't know what you want from I me. I've this for months. Not, dude not, dude I, writes I, one poem. I stole a poem. I did not. I, did, I stole the poem. I did not write it. <laughs> I will say I every line of that poem is the, uh, the verbal component of one of my spells, though. So <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got inside jokes. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's interesting, Thorne, because I, I can see what you're saying with that because of, you know, we, we brought so much uh, so much character to begin with to the story. But I, I, I mean, I have seen in every almost every session that we know a lot more about our barbarian Jacobs backstory. And that is continuing to grow to a point where it's obviously incredibly influential to the plot itself, uh, to, to King Hakatanda himself. Rome, our war-forged warlock, uh, definitely, but it's still very mysterious as to what the fuck is happening, you know, because uh, he's this celestial warlock thing. The one that hasn't is a lot of Zhang's. And I feel it's because you're kind of like the Ronin that's like away from his lands. So where do you really fit into this other than when you got to Nightstone, right? Well, I mean, I you know, the truth is, though, every time Zhang shows up, Zhang tries to do something as far as building a relationship or building an alliance for his for his yeah. lord. So it's not like I Absolutely. haven't, it's not like I've dropped that. It's just what Zhang came in with backstory wise doesn't necessarily kind of fit the story that Tony's telling. Mm -hmm. So by nature, Zhang gets dropped from these things. He just hits things. I, I do find that I know in my own game, I am cautious to try to let the players have their backstory and kind of be who they are. But if I've got three players who don't have a whole lot of backstory and three players who have some backstory and two really kind of a little more fleshed out, I don't want it to become their show. 
you know, I want it to be balanced between all the players. So that's something I'm a little conscious of there. We've talked about the Paladin, Sir Morton. He does have a connection to the big bad guy. It manifests, though, in his own decisions and player motivation. Like, it doesn't mm. manifest because, like, I'm giving him more to work with. It manifests because he's the guy who doesn't want to leave because he's got to go get his brother back, his uh, his 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 lodge brother back, his the, yeah. the, the anti-paladin who, who who left them. I just I find that I am I am cautious about that because I don't really want the game to be one-sided towards the backstories that fit what I want to do better. Uh, I want all the players to kind of be a little more, you know, even in the game and represented. Um, which is, which is, I guess, kind of a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a question. Cause if you're doing that, then you're being more cautious also with kind of like individual, individual playtime. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. I super, no, those are all good points. Those are all good points. With backstories, I had, like, I already got the plot. I've got some subplots going. Then I got backstory plots. And that is a juggling act. Cause we, we covered in a previous episode. We're like, okay, what about this one fairly central plot? And some people had some ideas about it. Some people had some other ideas about it. Some people had some theories about it. And some things honestly weren't revealed entirely. Like, I didn't really put 100% everything out there. But I already had kind of hit a point in my campaign where some of the players were like, so this one one plot line, why are we doing this? And that's a really tough moment for the DM. Then you kind of got to kind of like grab the steering wheel and be like, okay, maybe I got to pump the brakes a little bit here, Tolkien. Maybe before you start like rolling out all, all of these sub characters and introducing another town and more NPCs, are your players really clear on the goals that are here right now? But you know, yeah. that part of that also though came from, and we talked about this then, some of those things have been dropped during a backstory reveal to one character, and they hadn't really disseminated it through the rest of the party who wasn't supposed to be there getting that information. So, I mean, that's kind of the thing I think you got to worry about with using too much backstory is because that was part of why that happened. A lot of it was revealed in the Paladins, or not the Paladins, the Barbarians' backstory. Like, the Barbarian had a whole thing, and the Barbarian's getting that as character backstory, and you're counting on it getting to the rest of the party, and the Barbarian's not sharing these things. And I'll tell you what, that happens also in Woodstock Wanderers. We had a wood, we had an elf come in. Now, the yeah. whole thing in Woodstock Wanderers is set in this forest where the elves had held dominance. They had kind of kept this this eldritch horror sleeping beneath the forest. And one, one, one uh, faction of elves decided, no, we're going to start feeding him instead and get stronger that way. And they basically sacrificed everyone in the forest to that now. So the one elf in the party has seen all this happen. She lived through it. And she came in. I gave her a whole backstory. That player didn't want it, like, isn't, that, that player's shy. Like, like they don't reveal she things. She plays it super close to the vest as a rogue, which is awesome for the character, not so much for trying to get that backstory out to the rest yeah. of the party. Which is, one of the, which is one of the dangers you run into whenever you're relying on one on a player to rely things to the rest of the party. That kind of asymmetrical storytelling that comes with this can really put you in a bad spot of, well, they're not revealing the stuff they were supposed to reveal. Well, that's true. Tell you the uh, truth, if I could, if I could jump in real quick, because mm. the way, because I, I do understand what you're saying, and you totally can fall into that. So the way that, for me, I, generally, the way I look at it and the way I try to work with it is, it's like we talked about in one of the last episodes when we were talking about getting the adventure hook. You know, you have to hook the player. I mean, everyone's sitting down to play D and D, and we understand that, but there is the the mechanism of hooking them into, okay, that's why I'm on this adventure and I'm 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 bought in. So with the backstory, I think it's a great way that you can utilize, in essence, an adventure hook multiple times through the adventure to keep bringing them in. And you reel them in deeper and deeper and deeper because they're realizing 
as you reveal whatever it might be that, oh, this goes much, much more close to home than I thought it did. You know, so it's almost like an adventure hook uh, every several sessions, almost as you as you can reveal some backstory stuff. Some of it may or may not just like any adventure hook. Adventure hooks sometimes fall flat on their face. OK, no big deal. But someone's going to take it. And then if enough people take it, the party continues onwards, right? Mm. So I remember I had oh, a Cavalier I from, in a game that Thorne played in. And uh, we were both players together. And I had conceptualized his character for a long time. Like, I put an obscene amount of thought into this guy. And he, he got wasted in, like, game two. And then, <laughs> uh, that absolutely true. And I don't mean, like, oh, he was knocked to zero hit points. Someone used a wonderful 5e spell and brought him back. No, dude. We're talking shovel, dirt on his face, sending letters to my next of kin kind of business. And in Dave's game, my character has a, honestly, a fairly sparse backstory. His backstory is more like an idea. Like, he's a concept that I just yeah. ran with. And yeah. he didn't need it because the elements I had just kind of all came together. And it kept snowballing as time went along. So you don't necessarily need an in-depth backstory. It's nice to have a backstory. It's certainly not pertinent. I also, I will agree with Thor in this respect. I am most interested in what the players are doing now. The backstory is really only is one of the aspects of it is to be a tool so that you can try to get your players to go along with the plot of the evening. Absolutely, absolutely. The um, I was gonna say too in regards to that, approach it with backstory and utilizing backstory because it can be rife with plot hooks and stuff that does your job for you in, in world building and makes it a much more communal storytelling. Approach it the way you would approach building a session, though. Plan for the next session. Don't You can have ideas. Have, have concepts and ideas and, and avenues that you can explore down the road, just like you would if you were running, you know, first tier, second tier, third tier. But plan for the next session. You don't have to have how does this person tie in in every single part all the way up to level 20. It doesn't have to because it can organically grow as you see how the uh, party plays, you know, and how important that, that backstory becomes. Mm. Yeah, I for me, I, I it's just something that just seems to be a little tricky. And, you know, maybe this brings us to, to, to the, you know, let's let's maybe if we talk about more about kind of what you want to see and how to develop a background, maybe this gets a little more clear, more, a little more clear. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about backgrounds. Uh, so we covered, you know, who writes them, how much do you tweak them? And it sounds like, you know, you will tweak them a fair bit to fit your campaigns, right? Do you do like extensive remodeling? Do you ever have a player come in? You're like, look, no, that's not going to be your background. That depends. So I would say to the player who comes in, like, you know, their Odin already has a, a son. Like, you know, you can't, you can't come in. So... Maybe we need to dial that back a little bit. Like, we'd all like to have a character who's like a son of Zeus or Odin. That's fantastic. But how about maybe you're the son of a lord or something along those lines? Let's try to keep this on the table. Yeah, it's, um, I, I think I'll go back to Thorn what you've said before about uh, thing, don't say no, determine difficulty. So in a way with the backstory, don't say no to it, but look at the backstory and, and see what can be, uh, what do they think about dialing this back and rolling this out? Or what do you think about if it was this? And then it becomes this back and forth. And I, I, I have found myself that most people are very receptive to that because then they have even more 
uh, even more agency to, to, to craft this story, uh, uh, you know, additionally. So, so I what do you want to see in the background the player writes? Like, poems. Like what, I want poems? them to write a poem. Yeah, what makes a good background? A... <laughs> what, are you trying, what, what, are you, what are you hoping to get out of it? Foundation. Mm. I want to see the foundation of your character. Honestly, uh, when I look at a, a, a backstory, to me, in the in the early game, I have an idea, and I, I say this to DMs, I really do believe in this. You should be able to write a paragraph about every character that's in your game. And if you can't, and if you're like, okay, and the ranger likes to be in the woods, and <laughs> likes her bow, then you probably have a problem. Then some, something is wrong with the flow of the story there uh, in some respects. I mean, going into the late game, yeah, I'm looking for opportunities for hooks. That That's where, that's the beginning and the end. Like, what, so, like, where, so like, what level of detail do you want out of it? What, what level of detail do you want out of what they bring to you? I don't really think there's a right answer for that. Because, again, uh, my character in Dave's game really has, like, a paragraph long, I just made up a word, uh, <laughs> paragraph that, uh, yeah, that that trademark, well, three wise DMs. And uh, that's actually like a paragraph and three quarters. That's a scientific mm. term for that. And um, and that character just rolled right out of the box. And I just ran with it and I didn't need it. It wasn't like what his backstory isn't super relevant. But it, what it provides for Dave is the way I play that character is he's got a pretty good idea how he's going to react. Like I would be willing to bet Dave can predict how I'm going to play my character in certain situations. Like, if he threw out, like, a bad guy who's like, yeah, I'm big and strong and I can wrestle, I bet you 10 minutes later I'm wrestling him in the town square. I yeah, mean, yeah. It, I mean it, just, it doesn't take much. But it's a perfect example, too, because, Tone, you were correct. Hawk is, was very much a concept, mm. if anything. I mean, there was backstory, but he was just a conceptual framework of a character. And I kind of went with it. I said, all right, and threw out a couple ideas, threw out a couple hooks, like, in-game. You know, uh, like when you guys were in uh, the village of Barovia and you each had like this separate dream sequence almost when the storytelling was happening. And I kind of made it like gypsy yeah. storytelling and whatever, you know, and that was a way to kind of one, throw out additional hooks and, and quest things and stuff like that uh, and information. And also just to give you guys each a little bit of, a, of an individual thing. And I threw out a couple things, seeing where Tony would take it. And he came back, and, and I, I built it from there. And then I saw he was wanting to wrestle more, so I, I put more into that. And I, I that gave me chances to build that in to the world itself. Uh, many, many things to be to be announced, uh, TBD. But, um, but yeah, it doesn't have to be uh, – I mean, I, I would like to have a name of your character. I would like to know – what they are in terms of a race or species, and and what they generally do. Uh, do they hit things? Do they cast spells? I think I think you're getting um, that off of the character sheet. I think you're gonna. Yeah, have I mean, but like, I'm not gonna force <laughs> someone into writing a backstory for me. But um, you know, most people will at least give you my name is this. I'm from here, and I'm I'm doing this. And sometimes that's okay. That's what, like Matt's character, Ulgroth, the um, half orc cleric. War cleric, who I was told when I asked where he came from was he came from Philly. So, you know, I went with that. So I had a little fun and I looked up the orc translator and found out City of Filth for Philadelphia. And I turned it into a that became a whole fucking 
area of my world, you know, <laughs> uh, which was awesome, you know. And I have additional things that, you know, if we ever get around to sitting around a table again and we can play, uh, that I would okay. roll out and see how they might respond. Respond or not respond, but at least it helps to build the world out. It gives it an organic feel. On that vein, I had, I don't know if I said this in a previous podcast or not, but I had a thief that got to be like at least, God, level five, level six. And the player's name was Marty, and he never picked a name. So he made a Morty by level six. I'm like, write that on your sheet. That's <laughs> happening. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's man. the thing. You get, you get some players like that. And actually, Matt has had uh, – he actually played a really good uh, Dwarven War Priest in one of our games. And, like, one of the games we've talked about a lot here. And the backstory was just up to, yeah, he's a Dwarven – he's a Dwarf who – he's a Dwarven cleric who worships the God of War. Yeah. And everything else was just really, I mean, the player was played, the, the character was played well, it had flavor. And it was just played based on that. And a little bit like, you know, like you're saying with Hulk, Hulk's got a backstory, but Hulk's more a concept. I like working with character concepts better than working with kind of detailed backstory. I will yeah. say what I, I guess what I want out of a character backstory is at least want them to know kind of what their character is, you know, okay, what is this person? And, and, you know, uh, why are they out adventuring? That, that is a good thing to know, at least if it's just cause it's their job. Okay. Then there's that. Well, then you're a ranger by trade and your job is to go clear the forest. And you have some of your favorite enemy in the forest. Go. It can get a lot deeper. And I guess that kind of, you know, that kind of dovetails to kind of the next question. Do you ever have a player's backstory that becomes a hindrance to the game or that, was something you really didn't want to put into play or, or, or push back on had to had them dial back a little bit. I was playing a system that was not D and D. It was a vampire RPG that I was running online years ago. And it was, we were in a coven of vampires mm. and that's, there's a basic premise and someone submitted like, you know, you could, it was online. So you could submit character concepts online and join the group. And one of the players wrote this very detailed backstory about why she was some form of minor Greek goddess who was kind of like Medusa. And I'm like, well, okay, this is a great backstory, but we're vampires and you're a goddess. And I feel like, <laughs> you know, uh, we're riding around on like really awesome motorcycles and you're in a supersonic jet and there intrinsically is a problem. So there's a difference between backstory and, and character abilities, and that's where the lines get a little blurry and problematic. I think, you know, I have the rule in my games that you can't come in as royalty. Uh, I was going to bring that up, Thorin, because that's a, that's what I was going to say. I've never actually had to to pull anyone's uh, backstory back in, in a full way, like, oh, my God, no, that's just, you know, no one's come in and said, oh, I'm, I'm Thor. I'm Thor <laughs> or two. I'm also Odin's son, you know, but... I did come with my backstory for Beam, the Dragonborn cleric, and I had yeah. a whole a whole story before as to why is he this hermit uh, worshiping this elven deity, you know. And in essence, what I did was I just wrote out the uh, the apocryphal story of the Buddha, and the point was not that. I was going to utilize royalty, but that that just gave some level of drive as to where I am now. And I remember when I brought it to him and you were like, OK, but you don't have access to like King or anything like that. You can't. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Um, and I can see what you were trying, what you were probably doing is like, no, I don't want to have to bother with, oh, well, I just can call in all of my lines of credit or my, uh, you know, all my friends and allies or something like that. Right. You know? 
it's that it's and it's also it's the balance thing again too i mean i wouldn't say you didn't want to have to deal with it's i do get cautious coming into it especially with new with with relatively new players i get cautious about um allowing the player to think his character is entitled to certain things yeah you're entitled to what's in the book but you can have characters who come in and like, well, because of my background, I get to do this and that. And I don't want the character. I don't want one player to have privileges over the other players because they came in with this background where, oh, I want to come from a background of privilege. You could have some, you might have a little more money, but you're not going to be able to call in the Royal forces. You're not going to be able to be in a fight and be like, well, I'm the King's son. So if you hit me, my daddy's going to throw a fit like that to me. It's not just that it's, I don't want to deal with it as a DM. I don't think it's fun for your other players. Because you're really not starting on the equal footing then. And I, this is really a, a – this is something I try to work around with backstories in general. Like, yeah, I want players to come in and enjoy their characters, have deep characters, connect with them, build an interesting character. But I don't want that to come at the expense of anyone else's experience at the table. And if someone comes in with an overwhelming character backstory that can kind of define the campaign – I kind of think of that as a little bit like I'm cautious about that. It can be a, it's something I try to rein in. Um, no, absolutely. And I think we've talked about it before uh, with the with the Wanderers because you had one who was in essence um, royalty in exile, um, yeah. self-imposed exile almost. Uh, you had uh, Scott's character has been the doddering wizard who was this court magician and and royalty and all, but you know we know that. And Sir Morton, who was this order of paladins, but we know that. And I thought it was great ways to allow for that and also dial it back. In the same way in Storm Kings, uh, we have Roderick and Wilhelmina, who are no uh, nobility in a way uh, mm. from Drago Manor. But it's a I specifically put it in there that it was a dying nobility, that it's like yeah. this washed up, used to be grand, but now it's just this, you know, this garbage, you know, very much the, the House of Usher, you know. Like at some point in the past it was, but it has no real sway other than, you know, what the noble background gives me and that kind of stuff, you know? So, yeah, I agree with you in that way. We handled uh, nobility in a long past campaign. Uh, it was like there was, of course, the the status roll you would make. That was an Unearthed Arcana first edition kind of thing. You'd roll a D100 and see where you landed. <laughs> and I had a character roll the the double zeros it happened once so he was in direct bloodline to the throne and of course he was a drow elf and his story was his older brother died he was expected to marry and he vamoosed and he went to the surface and became a rogue he was basically and one of those rogues i know i've mentioned the in previous podcasts he stole everything everything <laughs> and one of, and not because he needed it but one of his motivations he was trying to get the, the wealth that he was used to but nobody was aware of that so he kept this really close to his vest, and everybody just thought he was a lunatic, and he was constantly stealing everything that was an eye shot of him at all times. <laughs> he turned out to be a fantastically memorable character. You know, I think we do need to come back to something we talked about a second ago, uh, which was, you know, Tony, you had mentioned that the way 5th edition handles backgrounds is much better than the way, say, 2nd and 1st edition handle backgrounds. And I think we're kind of seeing an example of that there, right? 5th edition is, okay, you have some backgrounds, you go take your pick, you get that. Whatever you fill in story-wise, you're getting that. You're not getting this extra stuff normally. Because uh, that does kind of help flatten it. But I still feel like, you know, did that come up in the game as Theoden, that he had that background? Did, like, did, did his family come up? Eventually, it had to be dealt with. Mm, like, okay. late game, it, it was like, oh, by the way, and he's a drought prince. And everyone's like, it was a great reveal, like, around level 12. And they're like, what? This guy? 
like this guy, I had to bail him out of jail. They were going to hang him <laughs> three games ago. Like, what are you talking about? No, you made a mistake. Not this guy. No, it's true. Yep. Talking about this get, get, is has me thinking about two different things. One, I'm thinking about uh, one of the mechanics they use in the Marvel system uh, because you're dealing in a world of superheroes and all the superheroes kind of know each other, right? And this person used to be in the Avengers and this person, you know, knows Reed Richards, whatever. And they have what are called contacts and you roll them out and you have a certain number. But a lot of judges in the game will leave. You don't have to list all of them at character creation. Some of them can either be developed mm -hmm. over time or I, know I, I cannot remember who brought this up, but I thought it was a kind of a cool mechanic. It's almost like an inspiration kind of thing, but it's the I know a guy mechanic. And like every <laughs> character gets one that you can use at some point in the game, you know, where it's the, oh, yeah, I know a guy. You know, so if you if you get hit in a stonewall situation or whatever, that's when you can call up, you know, whoever I saw you know, um, in that town or something. And I thought that'd be kind of a cool mechanic to be able to play with some of that without having it completely uh, outshine some of the other players, you know, because yeah. everyone would have some level of a of an ability to use their background in an actionable way, you know, in a mechanic way. Actually, something. Uh, sorry, Tony. Just, just real quick, because this is mm. just tied directly to this. The trail of Cthulhu. Well, the, the whole Call of Cthulhu system. They have backgrounds, and a couple of them do have things like that. So, like, I played a. I was an antiquarian. I owned a. Basically, I owned an antique shop. And uh, you have as an ability once per campaign, you can say, "I have a back in the shop to go get a major campaign item." That's like that's that phenomenal. Book. I have a copy of that book. We just that's got jet back to Rhode Island. I have it there. It's that's that kind phenomenal. of thing. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's neat. It, it, it is pretty handy. Sony, go That's ahead. Great. In both the face rip system and the cinema gaming systems, you had an opportunity to invest points in backstory things. Not exactly in face rip mm -hmm. per se, your backstory, but you're like, okay, you know, you can increase your finances. But yeah. in the cinema version, you could, you could have contact specifically. So you could put points and say, you have an ally to this degree. They're very influential. And mm. if you have this, it's because you paid for it. I'm not yeah. super strong or super suave, but I'm very connected. You know, that at makes least, some sense to me, too, because at least my experience in the real world is you spend your time in the gym or you spend your time making contacts, right? right. I mean, networking is its own skill and its own thing you got to put time into. I think White Wolf did that as well, to be mm. perfectly honest, thinking back upon a game that I played once upon a time. Yeah, I've never played White Wolf, and I wish I had because it's such an influential system, especially for things that are a little more roleplay focused. It is it is something I'd love to get into at some point. Although then we start talking about all the politics of the houses, and I'm like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's not my kind of game. <laughs> It's very Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones. And I think I said this in a previous podcast. It's like, okay, well, he's upstairs. Let's get him. No, 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 buddy. This is not how we do things. Please. I have an offer he can't refuse. It's called a knife. No, 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 no. Give it to him. So what's off limit as far as background goes? We mentioned royalty. I mean, I will say in my games. So, you know, we've talked about where I'm coming from here. You know, I don't want players having backgrounds to overshadow other players. When I do have players that come in as, oh, I used to be an experienced adventurer, I flatten it. You've forgotten, you're cursed, you've got fat and lazy and can't do that stuff anymore. I've used all these things. Um, and sometimes even as they level up, sometimes they can just be rediscovering things they used to remember, which is theoretically how has-been works. He knew this stuff, he just had to, re he had to jog his memory. Um, so that kind of stuff, 
you know, if your royalty's off limits, extreme wealth is usually off limits. You're not going to be sired by the divine unless you really sell me on how that's going to work. What do you guys put off limits in backstory? Direct powers that another player would not have access to, especially really profound ones. Like if you want to say my eyes glow and maybe I have dark vision. Okay, that's one thing. But you let your imagination run wild. There's a million different directions where that can go into. No, I yeah, I don't. Um, I would agree with you guys. I think anything that is not accessible at that same level as the the books would allow you. So whether it's gear or whether there's powers, abilities, wealth, whatever. Now, as I have done, if I'm running a game where we're all coming in at fifth level or something like that, well, that's going to be a little different because now your backstory opens up a whole lot of possibilities because now you are a seasoned hero of the realm, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's a little different. You can obviously. have some achievements you're playing with. Yeah, but still, mm. if, if someone could not actively build that, utilizing the rules as they are, then I don't see any reason why it should it should be there at, okay. a, at a requisite level. And if we're talking level one, you're, you're talking about, you know, you're, you're out killing your, you know, the rat catchers, you know? Yeah. But like so so and that actually brings up another question we're going to talk about here. Do you give mechanical bonuses for backstory? So like beyond what you would get from your race, your class and your background, does anyone come in with a backstory? It's like, yeah, hey, I did this, this and this because of that. I can do this thing that is an additional power I get. Do you do you ever do anything like that or do you grant them things? Say, hey, because your backstory is like that, you get this. Maybe if it's quirky and fun. What? Mm. Like, oh, yeah, I can teleport. I mean. Can you? Like, I teleport in the wrong direction. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know. I've seen it as a player in a game where the where the DM granted, you know, everybody, you know, in essence, a power or, a, or an item at first level. And it really, as Thorne has said in, in past things, it, it really warped the game um, mechanically so that uh, it became very, very unwieldy. It's fine. I mean, it's, you know, it's still a game, so have fun with it. But... No, I mean, I don't see any reason why, because then unless you're going to do it across the board and then probably warp your whole campaign from it, then why does one person get something that others do? I said this in the same yeah. way about when Bonnie came in for the one game and said, oh, what about being a ghost? And I kind of stopped and I said, well, at level one, I'm not cool with it. You know, if it was level three, level five, level 10, totally different story because that's somewhat accessible. You know, we've talked yeah. about like Thorne has gone over kind of benchmarking and, and working kind of reverse engineering a monster into a player character. Uh, and I think that's awesome, but at, at appropriate levels, it's not level one. Level one is literally like you got a sword and you're killing something, you know, yeah, that's it. The, <laughs> the, the difference there is you're talking, there's between like her backstory versus how Riffs used to frame this would be an RCC, which is a racial character class. So mm. if you're a ghost, you're a ghost. That's what you're doing. Well, well like Thorne's practicing magic and Bonnie's a ghost and she's haunting a house. That's a completely <laughs> different situation. Maybe she has a very fascinating backstory why she is a ghost, but it, it's a more complicated situation than that. Yeah, I think and it's weird because, you know, as much as I come out here and say, yeah, hey, I worry about backstory. I want to try to I want to try to limit the impact on the game as much as I want the characters, the players to be invested in their characters. As soon as someone says I want to play a ghost, part of my mind goes, well, hey, 
I know how we can do a ghost. <laughs> Here's how we can make that work. And so no, I, I, decide, I want to try to make that work and balance it. And, and, and benchmarking does, I think, become very important. Then, Like, I think if you were going to make a ghost player character, you could do the RCC. I mean, that's that's a legit point Tony just made. You absolutely could say, look, if you're a ghost, you're a ghost. You're no longer a cleric. You're a ghost. You're a vampire. You're a vampire. You're no longer a warrior. You're a vampire. However, there is a part of me going, okay, so what could I put in there that would be ghost-like that we could do this? Like, how can I take this template, put it on the racing class they have, give them some penalties, and take away some of the powers to the higher level, maybe, and work it out? I think it could be done. You do get in that world, though, of, all right, is this going to be balanced with everyone else? And is this going to kind of start making the other players feel like this character's cooler than my character? Right, um, right. They tried that in 4E, where you could be a straight-up vampire. And here was my experience with that. A player was playing the vampire character. like, ah, oh, he's so ominous. He's a vampire. It's like level 7 vampire. Blah. And he was doing a demo on how combat works for a new player who was coming in the same game, same level. So you gave him an equal level barbarian. So they did a friendly combat and the barbarian dropped him. I don't mean like he was holding back and he got him. I'm like, no, no. He's like, oh, I'm sure you were holding back. That's why I won. And we're like, no, no, <laughs> you, you knocked him out. So it is hard. It is hard with a, with a monster that is supposed to be effectively immortal. How do I mm. make an immortal monster, a character, a, a player character in the game? I think the answer kind of comes down to probably they need some kind of incorporeal effect that takes them out. Like, honestly, if I think if I think if I had an undead character, if I had an undead player, some of the downside has to be, look, you can't be resurrected. You, or if you're resurrected, you come back as not undead. You come back as the person you were. Like, if you're a ghost character and you die, well, uh, yeah, you know, you're incorporeal. You're maybe missing some time or something. I think that's almost kind of something you kind of have to bake into it. But it goes so much deeper than just, hey, grab the monster and me give me those powers. It's you got to balance this. Like, you got to homebrew something thoroughly with benchmarking and with understanding of what is this going to do compared to the other player characters to get it right. Now, on the flip side, we just did just talk about how much you like good backstories and how much the good backstory does influence you as a dungeon master. Are you ever tempted to give someone something because their backstory is so good? No, I'll tell you why. I care about what they do with whatever is happening in the game. So, you know, I actually, I've thought as some characters had some fantastic backstories. I wrote a backstory for uh, a friend of mine and actually had problems with that because she's like, this is what I want. And I'd like you to do a backstory. And I'm like, and I wrote this big piece. I'm like, here's your backstory. And she's then she's like, I don't like it. And then I hear about this, like <laughs> level three, level four. And I'm like, you, you don't like, you it's like calling somebody the wrong name for a year. And they finally tell you, and you're like, why didn't you tell me a year ago? <laughs> you know, it and is, I, it's tough. It's, it's tough. And we've actually had this come up a little bit with some of the characters in other games, like as a DM, the player's got an idea of what they want their character to be. And the more you get involved with it, unless you're right on and totally like see and agree with what they're doing, you do wind up walking them off what they had in mind. That's exactly what happened. So it's like, yeah. basically you said like, I'm going to sketch Zhang for my campaign from the way I see it. And you tell me what you think. And I draw this thing and I draw this fierce bugbear and you're like, well, that's a fierce bugbear, but no. But Jang's a samurai. Yeah, Jang, no. Jang is, but Jang is supposed to be well groomed because he, because he, he's adopted the samurai way and renounced his old ways. Yeah, and that's exactly how she felt about it. And looking back, I should have taken a more collaborative approach with that player to craft that backstory because then, you know, what happens? 
she's level four going to level five. And she's like, you know, what? I'm really not invested in this character. And the problem was I started it on the wrong foot. It's tough. Now, that's when you're creating the backstory for them. But like, you know, do you are you ever tempted to you now? And I think that is important. We, we, we did mention that a little bit. And that's maybe a good reason why you should have the player start with the backstory. Right. If mm-hmm. the player's got inspiration, they start with the backstory. You tweak it when they get it to you. What I was curious about, though, is, you know, if if you want to encourage players to have better backstory, do you use extra powers to reward them or to maybe, you know, kind of as a negative reinforcement for players who don't have a good backstory? That seems that seems very heavy handed. Yeah, I'm not not if we're talking about like level one characters, you know, if we're talking about, again, somebody coming in and you're doing a you're doing a multi night thing and you're doing, you know, a level 20 campaign. Well, then, yeah, I'm at it. Or your Christmas game. Right. Where you just give them all these fucking magic items. But I would never do that. Something, you know, I've well, you you've played those with me. That's yeah, a fun game. By the way, it. people, I would totally recommend doing that. Play the Christmas game. Have 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 Satan Claus the demon driving fiery reindeer. Give everyone epic level magic items and legendary and, and artifacts to screw around with for a night, and then take it all away. My players and give them a deck know. of many things as a Christmas gift, and see what happens. Yeah. And my players don't know, but I'm going to play as it throws your campaign into Ooh, the void. Well, hey, your players are interested in that. I think that's going to be fun. That will be fun. cool. That's, that'll definitely be cool. So um, on the on this same kind of line, though, it made me think because it's something that I've been playing around with in one of my games. What do you think as a DM about changing or let's say maybe doing a really trick reveal like a real M. Night Shyamalan kind of twist to their backstory down the road? And they don't they didn't realize it. And it's in game, in character, and you pull it without like really necessarily letting them know. What do you think? Well, I think I, I think I can I can rephrase this question as what are you gonna think when it turns out Phineas killed Rose's whole village? Hawthorne, what are you gonna <laughs> think when we reveal that about <laughs> Phineas? My <laughs> character actually, won't care. He's fine with it. He's like, all right, Phineas buddy. that did it. It was his patron, supposedly. <laughs> his patron. And Phineas still, Phineas still denies that, but he also doesn't know what his patron does. And yeah, <laughs> so. Well, there. No, so that is actually that was an example of something similar where I kind of took and I twisted it. But that was a that's somewhat for me. That's because if you're when for me the question really comes around to when you're playing with uh, warlocks, clerics, paladins. You're dealing yeah. with patrons, you're dealing with gods, and you're dealing with things that they think they understand, but do they really? And that's kind of where I'm playing. Like, where do you guys kind of fall on that? Like, starting to, I mean, not completely, not, well, not we, fucking we, them over, but giving a twist to it. Well, we've talked about this a little bit before, and that one, my, one, my one buddy who quit the one game came in as a warlock and he wanted to do the infernal warlock i'm like awesome let me tell you about what you sold your soul for and boom (laughs) out no interest no i want to be an infernal warlock without actually having a deal with the devil um and we've talked about how i regretted that a little bit where i didn't i really wanted him like i'm like no look in my world if you're an infernal warlock you have a deal with the devil (laughs) that's what you've done i don't know what to tell you it's like saying you're a paladin who doesn't believe in god it's not going to work for me so my experience with it has been i understand the concept and why i would want to do it and my experience has been boy did that go wrong because the player didn't want that as part of their character. It's now with with Phineas to talk specifically about that. It's tr- the Phineas is very much 
he basically kind of begged. Like, he, he he wanted what he got. He knows what he is. And we have written that Phineas character is very, very subservient, a servant to this character, uh, yeah, to, to, yeah. To, this, to, this, to this guy who he knows does bad things. And occasionally Phineas does bad. Th- well, not occasionally. Phineas does bad things for him. The only the only <laughs> thing that made me kind of cringe a bit when I started hearing about it is I'm like, he's a fae. Like, you need something more interesting than he just slaughtered the village. It's got to be a little well, more fae. But see, and that's what was kind of where I was playing with some of the Dusk Elf thing and the reveal of that village is because now all of a sudden they're here. I don't know where you're going with it. I kind of, I mean, maybe there's like, maybe the reason Phineas has been tasked with tormenting Strahd is because Strahd broke a deal or something. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm curious because slaughtering a village for a fey to me is a little on the nose whereas fey are a little more tricky and whimsical you know whimsical is not the right word they're a little more you get what you it's it's more illusion it's more turnabout it's more things went wrong in a way you didn't expect Uh, it's more than just straight out slaughtering so i'm curious where that's gonna go yeah, well, see, I mean, but in that case, though, I'm okay with it. Like, like yeah. I'm okay with it. Other than just, I'm like, I'm like, I'm hoping it's a little more fey than like, hey, he just killed everybody. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. I feel like that's like I'm climbing the top rope and I'm going with the flying elbow. And either you're gonna connect with it and it's gonna be positively awesome, or you have a player who's ninth level in your game turning. And you go, you know what? You just ruined my character. That's <laughs> kind of what's at stake. Yeah. And that's, you know, I've kind of seen that kind of thing happen too. It's here's the problem. It is co- collaborative storytelling in an unbalanced situation. Yeah, absolutely. You have much more power than yeah. the players, but the players are telling the story of a character who they consider to be their character and they are highly invested in. So having done this wrong, having had this go wrong a couple of times, I think you got to be careful. You can do the twist. I think you can do the twist if you properly set it up and you don't screw it up. Right? Yeah. That's what it comes down yeah. to. It all works unless it doesn't. Ooh, if, yeah. Stick the landing. Stick if, yeah, the that's landing. it. It's like you need to know this. Ca- you need, I mean, like, so like Tony or uh, with Cassidus, uh, with, with the mage who turned into the pile of bugs. I feel like that went really well, except for Tony is still annoyed that it turned him into a pile of bugs. <laughs> I was like coffee out of my nose. Yeah, yeah, I don't think we know well. that he had a problem with it for the last twenty years too. So, so that's so, so that's the thing. That was only that one was only ten years ago. But, but that's the thing is like okay, even one that went well, and I think really like I looked at it as hey, this is how this works when you want it to work. This is the twist. Yeah. It wasn't played into his background, and he totally walked forward into it. So I never had something that was kind of like oh, by the way, you never knew this about yourself punch but still still that didn't land totally positively right i mean there's still some negative impact from that landing uh in in, in the turning him into a pile of bucks and, and eventually into kind of a godlike pile of bucks they're effectively well, I, think it comes, I think it comes down it comes always back to what we're always saying is kind of know your players right and and, and sometimes uh, you have and, to and, you know, something like this, it's not just know your players. It's like, you better have intimate knowledge of them. Like, like you need to know them well enough to be able to say, no, 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 no. That's, that's, yeah, he's going to marry that girl. <laughs> yeah, this is in the whole bookstore. That's the book for him. Like, you got to sometimes to do, to pull a twist like that, that it's character background focused, you need yeah. to be sure. And I think you need to drop hints so they're not totally blindsided. Like, yeah. which, which is a little bit what's going on with Phineas, right? You're dropping some hints. You're, you have stuff came up in the, re- in the stuff came up in the tarot reading when Rose came up and Phineas, and I'm like, what? He did what? You know, so there's yeah. some hints. You can yeah. see it coming. But then, yeah, bit, but so it then all is, yeah, yeah, and then you come about, then you come to the Vistani uh, camp that has the Dusk Elf tribe there. And yeah. it's like, wait, what, why? You know, so 
again, to tell you the truth, so what I'm actually talking about is something completely different, not this uh, was where my question kind of came from. But to tell you the truth, the Phineas Rose, the gentleman, the Archbay patron, all of this, I'm very much playing this, like I just said earlier, where I'm planning for the session in a way. Mm -hmm. I have ideas, but I don't have a definitive concrete because who knows what might happen that might make me go, oh shit, that's totally gonna, that's that's what it's gonna be now, you know? So I have I have ideas. They just haven't been baked in the oven yet. So I can still turn them into a pretzel or into a loaf of bread or whatever. <laughs> when I've done stuff, when I've done stuff like that, I actually planned it out fairly early because I think if you're going to do that successfully, you kind of have to know where you want it to go. I, cause I do think that's for it to work. You need to have, you need to be able to point back and say, remember all that stuff back there. You uh -huh. need to have the trail of clues that leads to the reveal, uh, which you're planning. Uh, but I will say like when I do choose to do this, I usually sketch, I usually have it more definitively in mind. Ooh, this is what happened there. Yeah. And then yeah. I work on what happened and how does it fit into everything else? Now, my trail of breadcrumbs worked a lot easier when we were playing weekly. Now, when you're going to buy weekly or monthly, you need, like, loaves of bread. Right. That's true. <laughs> Big signs that point this way. <laughs> yeah, and that's just, it's just reality, you know? Yeah. That's not because your player players aren't on their A game, you know? Like, I'm sorry. D Dave, if you could tell me three things you ate in the last three weeks, like, for sure, I mean, that that's something there. But, like, you remember, like, three key events, like, you know, that shopkeeper in the well, red Well, I had park. a really nice, I mean, last night we had a really nice turkey skillet with, uh, with sweet potatoes. <laughs> that was quite nice. I made a taco salad tonight. Uh, with uh, my homemade dressing, which was we're about good. to find out. Me and Dave are fatter than Tony. And then uh, I can definitely you know, name three things I've eaten probably some, in the last uh, three days. <laughs> made some delicious stew, and uh, we had a little board game in action happening. Yeah, so yeah, I you know I generally can keep keep abreast of my dinner situations. I think That's Roderick good. though. Roderick's just been eating probably fucking rations for the last like two Horrible. weeks. I think. Wait, I'm not so even I'm sure. Character living on black licorice who's about to die from the uh at, from, from the lysergic acid poisoning. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's just, I don't even know. We're not even trying to track that. Here's a question, actually. How secret do you keep this stuff? Because that is, when I talk about balance, when I talk about, you know, one player kind of having, kind of like, you know, making other players feel like, you know, like, like maybe it's uneven. One of the tricky things I find is the more secret aspects of individual characters get, the harder it is to have a balanced game where everyone is kind of, every player is equally involved. Because you you likely can't keep the same amount of secret backstory for everyone. So you wind up by nature having some who have the really cool backstory and others who are just like, eh, yeah, whatever. I mean, how secret do you keep this stuff? And do you think that's a good thing for the game? It can be. Um, or you keep something so secret your player forgets about it. You bring it up later and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it is side eye. I'm like, okay, moving on. <laughs> that is a real risk. Like you, you mean said. It's got to be said over and over and over again. Go ahead, Dave. Are you meaning keeping secret in terms of like some of the backstory yeah. plot devices and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, what's going on behind the scenes, direct player to player to DM. Right, right. You know, because uh, that all kind of that all kind of plays into a thing where I do feel like that can lead to some unbalanced games. Yeah, and that's where I really um, what I try to do is involve everybody. So if I'm doing side messaging, mm. straight DM personal to player. I'm trying to do that with everybody in some fashion. And then some of the things I will give information to some characters that is involved with another character that they can then share to get trying to foster some level of 
uh, interaction, you know, so that at the table, when you're, you're having to figure out where do we go next? Oh, well, I had this weird dream. Oh, well, I read this in the library. Oh, well, you know, this guy came and talked to me. So it, it, it hopefully, hopefully, best of laid plans, it fosters more of the uh, in-game planning and team building and, and story development in-game. You know, hopefully, you know, uh, you need an, a level of people that, that, can, that can handle that. So. Well, you, Tony, secrecy. Yay, nay, good for the game, bad for the game. Uh, th- my problem with secrecy is that, like I said, if it's really kept a secret, does this keep the players engaged? You know, like uh, if the, ca- the character is aware of this, it's like I'm walking around like <laughs> I'm secretly really cool. I don't know. Maybe someone <laughs> wants to run with that. Maybe they do. I mean, or maybe like it's something you could have like inching to po- poke its head out and that'll make it interesting. Like someone drops some hints like Dave did my game where like, you know, the gypsy said some things about my character that made no sense to the other players. And I'm like, eh, I'm just going to be quiet and stand in the back now. <laughs> like, right. 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 And, and I, I specifically the whole Madam Ava reading thing was kind of meant to do that because it was supposed to show as the Madam Ava rated reading does show that this being holds information that you know oh, that no one should know and she's about to give you all of this these card readings so it you know it kind of fosters you really paying attention to what she's about to say for where all of the fancy shit is in literally like a hundred yards from you we found out so <laughs> it was handy i mean and this is the madame ava reading in uh in curse of strahd where basically one of the early things that happens is the characters go and they get a tarot card reading from a vistani fortune teller who is very accurate knows some things about them and then also tells them where they can go find the various things they need to kill strahd you know if we have to wait that long i mean i'm still not sure we can't just walk up and kill strahd now i think we're ready for it i you know who knows who knows really Hawk, put him in the camel clutch. We could that even is do. a big fucking castle, though. I'm just going to say, that's a big castle. Okay. <laughs> we big. can barely deal with the walking house. We're going to fight Strahd? Uh, I don't know. That, that walking house is pretty busted. That was. I mean, you know, Baba La Saga, the other hag, neither one was nearly as dangerous as the damn house. Oh, my God, bro. That house. Yeah. It hit like a house. It did, exactly. Now, again, I wasn't necessarily dropping all of the, you know, I wasn't dropping mass fireballs on you guys either, but, you know. That'll be in my game. It was kind of hard to do when I was trying to get back into my goddamn ship after having it drop from the the sky. It was hard when I'm being a, you know, rear naked choke, you know. I mean, mean, I'm tapping out, you know. Um, You you probably could have had her fly a little higher and throw fireballs a little further. Then again, we did the first thing we did was hit her with the with the dispel magic to drop the skull, which you let us do. She's ascending, she's ascending, and you just you pop her right out of the sky. My my character did all this horrible, horrible stuff to her, beating off her rounds and rounds and rounds, and then Thorne's wife gives her like a Charlie horse and she dies, and he's like, "Yeah, babe, you got the kill." And I'm looking at like giving this stink eye. What? (laughs) To be fair, Hulk does get a lot of does have a lot of glory moments in the combat. I thought I thought the rogue could use one. Absolutely. After she took a hundred points of damage too, and then had to be resurrected. Yeah, so that was nice. Ah, not the Charlie horse. He dies. (laughs) The Charlie horse of death. 
the rogue uses knives. The, the, you were wrestling, and the rogue came up and just stabbed her in the throat. It's like, okay, there, let's it finish the, this. It was the, the it was the last Actually, stand I mean, of the Dusk Elves. I think Hulk did 90% of the damage to that, to, to, to the Babala Saga. I really, I mean, I hit her with a few things. I didn't hit her with much. The biggest thing I did was try to stay out of the damn way so she didn't fireballs. Oh, and I dropped, I did drop her. But that was also yeah. Dave Lettuce used the spell magic to drop the skull, ruling that the skull was powered by a spell. Which yeah, was, I mean, it's fair. It's fair. You you know, no one else to. can make it fly, but, you know. But yeah, no, you, for you, me, that was fair. You did not need to. Like, you could, you could, uh, by the ruling of that spell, you could absolutely say that dispel magic did not, because dispel magic doesn't work on items. It only dispels spell, this, it only dispels spell effects. Yeah. Yeah, but I thought it was, you know. It was cool. Turn about fair play. I dropped you out of the sky. You dropped me out of the sky. That's all. <laughs> you need to do that <laughs> You know, when you're a warlock and you have two two leveled spells per combat, and the first one is fly, and then immediately goes to spell magic on your fly, and you're like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this one then. <laughs> this one better better be useful because if this one doesn't work, it's all it's all it's all Eldritch Blast from here. <laughs> Now that, that combat was getting hairy. Like there was at least two people down and a third one who was about to drop. That was. No, it was actually that was a great fight. That 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 to me felt like exactly what you want out of a D and D boss fight. Multiple targets, multiple things going on. The characters being taken right to the edge. Several of them basically dying and having to be quickly revived. Uh, you want that. Like if it's a boss fight and at least two characters don't drop to zero hit points, I don't think you've had a real boss fight. So yeah. you gotta drop some folks for it to. All feel. right, let me write that down. All right. <laughs> oh Jesus! Here we go. That's fair. No I mean, more honestly, talking our way through anything. <laughs> it's the way I look at it, to be honest with you. I mean, if, the way, if yeah. no, I agree. I, mean, I agree. That's the big. That's the big epic one you want, right? That's I mean, the tension builder. A boss fight should have one of two things happen: either the players come in with a great plan and it's totally short circuited, which I'm fine with. It can be, I mean, some some people consider that anticlimactic. I don't mind that every now and then. Uh, I'll probably take steps next time. Like I won't make the Hydras so vulnerable to banishment next time. Maybe like two or three Hydras. <laughs> talking Woo! about the, talking about Dave's trick in the game we played last week. I didn't realize you could banish a Hydra. That's interesting. Huh? I didn't realize you could banish a Hydra. Yeah, apparently you can, unless I missed you it. Maybe banish anything. Yeah, I can't find anything. any it's reason just that you could banish the Hydra. Yeah, just, it's just next a, time I need three Hydras. Uh, yeah, I thought the heads were gonna. I thought I thought a three head. I thought a five headed hydra would be enough. I'm gonna need three five headed hydras. Okay, we'll just run you out of those banishments. <laughs> but I think either the players come up with a great plan that gets rid of it in one go, which is fine, because that that creates a great story. Players love doing that. Those are the kind of moments campaigns are made out of. Or it's gonna be a, a, a it's gonna be a slobber knocker. Yeah, you know, we're gonna have some people down. Some of you might not yeah. make. Yeah. Like one one of those two things. If it's like a boss fight and it's okay, it goes on for five turns, but we just cornered it and beat it up until it died and no one really got hurt. That's not much of a boss fight. That's just a damage soak. Um, yeah, it's like it, I just it was just on I think this weekend, so I caught like 15 minutes. But it's like Sokovia is lifting out of the ground, is about to fall. The all the Ultron uh, robots are attacking. Ultron himself is there. Like, yeah, and you're there's no right way to go. You know, yeah, that's yeah. yeah, that's what you want. You need the fire. That was right. Avengers Two: Age of Ultron. <laughs> to be fair, not the best of the movies. I mean, I it was it wasn't. Yeah, unfortunately. I would have gone so, for an Avengers One or Avengers Endgame comparison yeah. personally. I don't think any of us wants to run an Age of Ultron at this point. Well, I mean, honestly, <laughs> three out of four of the Avengers were really solid. I mean, that that's definitely a win there. 
That's yeah. saying a lot. That's saying a lot for movies like that. Yeah. So, all right. We've uh, we've covered a lot of ground with backgrounds so far with player backgrounds. You know, have any of you done anything where you have everyone come up with a background and know you're going to come in and give them a reward for it? Cause I've thought about doing this possibly in, um, if I launch an Eberron game, because what I was thinking about to launch an Eberron game, Eberron's very noir. It's very much like, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's got, it's got a lot of aspects to it that are like, you're part of a guild, you're part of a detective agency, you're part of a tra- you know, you're working for this house, you're doing these deeds. So I could see a cool Eberron game being, you get the players together ahead of time and have them not just come up with their characters, but okay, you are all a group of something. Tell me what the group is and how you, and what you are and what your goals are. And what you, like, so kind of a group background kind of thing that could then maybe have some benefits for them. Cause it's the whole group doing this. It's not just one player. You guys ever done anything like that or done anything where you did give benefits for backgrounds? Maybe everyone gets one. No, but it would be really awesome. I kind of have always wanted to run something like that or play in one, something like that, where you are all kind of the same thing. You know, so you're either a wizard's guild or or thieves guild or like you said, detective agency. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. And then you could like give them access to, you know, like like Q, right? He would give all the cool shit for that mission, you know. Uh, that would be really kind of cool, actually, I think. Eberron does have rules for patrons. That's one of the reasons it lends itself to this, which are, I believe, going to be coming out in Tasha's Cauldron, too. As uh, I know there's oh, patron nice. rules in there, and I think they're picked up from Eberron that way. So Eberron is set up for that. Like, Eberron is set up for, you know, your your group has a patron who helps them do things. Those are kind of the rules I was thinking about. Um, but that's, you know, Charlie's looking forward. Angels. Sort of, yeah. I mean, yeah. they don't need to be all the same character class by any means. It could be a diverse group of players and player characters, but at least they're kind of they've come together and they have a they have a combined backstory, not just individual backstories. Well, I um, will say that with that too, for me, um, at least the way I like to do it as a player specifically, but I, I would like I like to see it as a DM too. One of the things that backstory lends itself to is why is your character being built this way? You know, so everyone wants some cool spell and that's great. If you can explain why would I take this spell? Why would I have it? Why would I, you know, I like that type of thing. So in the same way with a guild or something, you can all be different, but you're in this guild for a reason. So if you're a wizard or something, but you're a wizard that like maybe specializes in, I don't know, you know, illusion magic or divination for espionage or something, who knows, right? But something like you, you're building your character, not just because it's cool spells and it's the most powerful, but because that's who they are. Right? I, I was in a campaign where we all, everybody played a different type of wizard. And you can, you can go that way. You're all part of this massive guild and we all explore together. But the role play has got to be tight. I mean, each one of us could play a dwarven fighter or a human fighter, and they could be very different. But we really, I think your backstory, where you're going, needs to be very distinctive. Or, like, as a reader was looking um, from the outside in, then maybe one or more of the characters might get kind of lost in the shuffle mm. or kind of blend together. Plus, it'd be oh, more, I mean, true. Yeah. so if you, and what, Tony, have you ever done a game where you basically gave everyone a perk on their backstory? I, I am not really a fan of rewarding guys out of the gate. As you can see, like I love actually was described. I love to give special bobbles during the game, mm. especially ones that you're not going to get from the system. That's like really a hallmark of my DMing. So I feel like in the beginning, your characters are already fresh and new. I don't really need to add anything to that, especially no, if you're learning that character. 
you're feeling each other out. Like, I don't want that to be an added focus. It's well said that way. Well said. Yeah. Because that's exactly what happened with uh, with that game I was playing in, where we all got something because of our backstory, which was kind of cool, but really OP'd us very quickly and, and warped the whole, like, First, second, third, fourth level. Was this DM I, giving out wishes? I mean, well, no, it's just it was so more like play. it was you know interesting powers, but they didn't necessarily have uh you know delineated lines that type of stuff. So it became a little bit you know wishy-washy at times. No pun intended. I mean, in earlier <laughs> editions, um, that may made a little sense. You're a warrior. What did being a first edition fighter or second edition fighter look like? I attack. It does damage. I'm done. That was your combat round. There was no points you could use to do special maneuvers, any of that stuff. That did not exist. So that made I, I could see it back in the day. I know I'm using our trademark a lot. Now, yeah, fourth edition, fifth edition, absolutely not. Fourth edition was just drenched in abilities. Good God, no, hard pass. And I guess you know, one last question I do want to talk about: if the character, if the player comes in with a significant backstory and you don't use it or you don't play no much. Have you guys ever had where that caused problems in the game? Cause I asked before, has a backstory ever caused problems in your game? We had a couple, not many. Have you ever not, you not really dipped into a backstory and had that cause problems? It absolutely can. And I want to say yes. So I didn't really dig into a backstory and I, it wasn't really intentional. I mean, honestly, like, I think I want, I have a recanted already when I said, yeah, I prepare like six hours for a game. That's baloney. I'm more like at 10 per game and I'm juggling all these balls and I'm riding a unicycle <laughs> and I'm wearing my clown suit and all this stuff's going on. And I'm trying to remember like the core plot, the main other plots, all your backstories and stuff. And then someone says to me at level 10, why did we ever do this? And I was like crickets. I'm like, holy shit, I completely forgot about that. And that's where, that was a shitting the bed kind of moment. I think we need to do a future episode on how to get your DM prep time down just for Tony. <laughs> I think he just needs to go back and, and listen to those episodes. And, you know, <laughs> that's just I'll, his style, though. That's Tony's style. That's how he, you know. It's different when I was running tabletop. I was running tabletop. I would just yeah. down my notebook and start writing in there. Do, 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 do. Now I'm looking for art. I can show you on roll 20. I'm looking at all these monsters. I'm looking them up. I'm changing them around. I'm taking the maps. I'm adjusting the maps. I'm resizing the maps. I'm dropping art into the maps. A lot more is happening visually. Yeah, that's versus, fair. That's versus fair. my theater of the mind, I just described to you. Okay, well, here's the room. Here's the antechamber. Here's the mosaics. Here's the fireplace. There's the chandelier. There's the staircases. Go. Yeah, God, that's a beautiful room. I feel like I'm right there. <laughs> yes, I succeeded. <laughs> I think Google Foo is the most important skill for running or anything on virtual tabletop. Oh, yeah, man. Get a Pinterest account. Just do it. <laughs> Make it happen. Elven Throne Room. There you go. <laughs> uh, looks like this. Meeks, I definitely feel like there is a game I had recently where I didn't pick up the character backstories, and some of them were a bit, were, were a bit involved. And I do feel like, like I introduced part of the backstory later, but I feel like the player did get a little bit uh, annoyed and disinterested because it wasn't more tied in. And as we talked about, like I'm always a little worried about over-relying on one player's backstory. Like, so I do kind of back burner them a little bit. And I do feel like, you know, you, and that's something that I think you need to be careful about too. Sometimes you have the player who's so interested in their backstory that if you're not catering to their backstory, they get impatient or they get checked out. I think that's something you got to be careful with too. And balancing that is a real tricky thing. You know, you want to use the backstory enough that they're there 
Or, you know, maybe there's no backstories. Everyone wakes up with amnesia. Sometimes well, I'd rather also... do the amnesia game than deal with... Uh, uh... There's also that you can, uh, you know, the realization as players that your backstory might be out there, but you just haven't reached it yet. Yeah. You know, if your backstory is in Philly and your party is currently in New York City, well, all right. But, you know, you're heading to Philly. So... I would never do that either. Never. You would never <laughs> head to Philly? Yeah, I lived goes, in Philly you know, for like 12 so, years. So, you know, trust, uh, trust the story enough that, you know, that it's probably out there. It might just not be out there right out of the gates, you know, the minute you walk out of the tavern, you know? So, all right, guys, we've been going on for a little bit. Let's do uh, any final thoughts on character backstories before we break up here? I would try to avoid having too many plots running at once. It's like your computer's running too many processes. Things are going to get slowed down, forgotten, and it's just going to be a little bit of a cluster. So what I kind of recommend is maybe you have some guys and you're doing some backstory with them and then you roll their other characters' plots out later in your later chapters. That may be a solution to that. So you do final thoughts? Um, yeah. I say play to your player, meaning some are going to come with page or two backstory. They're going to have a poem that they lifted from an Edgar Allan Poe novel. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to give you the story of the Buddha, but as a dragonborn, right? Whatever. And that's awesome. So use it, don't use it, but it's there. You're going to have some players that are going to give you, I'm uh, this person, I'm from here, I have a sword. Okay, cool, no problem. Use it like you would use adventure hooks in the beginning of the campaign. Throw out some backstory stuff every now and then. Tie it in. You can tie it in to any campaign anywhere. And just allow it to kind of organically manifest, you know, realize, like I just ended with before, you know, their backstory is out there or their goal, let's say, that their backstory is leading to. But they have to trust you enough to discover it on their own, too. All right. And I guess uh, for me, the final thought is backstories are great. Player engagement is the most important thing probably in the game. Be careful exploring. Uh, be careful letting the one player whose backstory is really involved hog more of the attention or the spotlight than the other players. Like, I really do feel like for me, at least, you know, I want to serve people's backstories, but I want to serve the whole party more. And to me, it's a group thing. That is the one thing I try to be careful about. You know, you work in the backstory. But at the same time, be conscious of not letting someone who's got a really involved backstory and really wants to do a lot of maybe wants to do a lot of behind the scenes stuff, not letting that really take the game and kind of take over the game or get more out of the game or like their character becomes cooler because of that. Because really, it's everyone's game. You know, the, the, the backstories you like and the backstories you don't. You know, as a DM, I think you got to be fair to everyone. And that's tricky sometimes. So just, you know, have a care with that when you're, when you're working with player backstories. Mm, All right. Solid. Guys, it was a lot of fun talking with you, as always. Thanks a lot. Good stuff. Absolutely. And for all of you listening at home, thanks again for checking out another episode of Three Wise DMs. We are growing on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, so give us a like there. Also, if you're listening to this on one of the podcast platforms, please drop us a five-star review or five-star rating. Those things are really helpful getting the word out and make sure we're getting found. All your support's been really important to us, so, so thank you all for listening. We're going to keep making these. Check out the website, threewisedms.com, for all of our podcasts and also for the articles we release every week. We're going to have one of those going up, going up tonight, actually, too. And that's it. See you next time on Three Wise DMs.